This is the podcast for Spectrum, the leading source of news and expert opinion on autism research. I'm Lisa Cantrell. In this episode, we explore the question, why don't we have better medications for autism? In 2012, Debbie Stevenson enrolled her son, Taylor, in a clinical trial for an experimental drug called Mavoglurant. Novartis, a large pharmaceutical company, developed the drug to treat a condition similar to autism called Fragile X syndrome. There really isn't any medication for Fragile X, and so I just knew as soon as there was a trial in the age range for Taylor that we'd be signing up. Taylor was diagnosed with Fragile X when he was two years old. It's a condition caused by a mutation in a gene on the X chromosome, and it's characterized by lifelong cognitive disability. It has many of the same features as autism, including difficulties with speech and language. Taylor was 16 at the time. And when Debbie enrolled him in the clinical trial, they began to make trips from their home in New York down to Atlanta. They would go to fill out questionnaires, participate in behavioral testing, and also to get a supply of the drug. Of course, it's a double-blind placebo trial, so I never knew if we had drug or placebo. But Debbie had a feeling that Taylor was getting the actual medication. Because during that 12-week trial, she says something kind of amazing happened. So one time, his sitter was trying to get him to do something he didn't want to do. He comes running into me, and he says, you can help me do it, Debbie. And those were the most words he had ever used in a full sentence that I could ever remember in his life. I was just floored by it. I was really floored. Debbie says that Taylor went from using one to two word phrases to suddenly using four and five word sentences. He was also now looking at her when she spoke to him instead of ignoring her. He was improving. I just called a family meeting and I said, Taylor's doing some really interesting things now and I need to know about it. So whenever he answers you with an appropriate response or uses more than his typical one or two words of gibberish, you need to come tell me and tell me right away so I can write it down. Each month when Debbie and Taylor flew down to Atlanta, she recounted the progress that he had made using the careful notes she'd been taking. Debbie and her family were thrilled. They felt as if the drug was helping to reveal Taylor's true self. However, despite Taylor's progress, the clinical trial failed. Novartis, the company that made Mavoglurant, announced that the drug did not show overall benefit in the trial participants. Once the trial stopped, the drug would no longer be made available to Debbie and her family or anyone else. I think I got chills. I was just shocked. When Taylor's supply of Mavoglurant ran out, Debbie says he regressed. He went back to using one to two word sentences or not speaking at all. Debbie and her family were dumbfounded. To them, the drug seemed to work. So why was Novartis not seeing those effects? The aberrant behavior checklist was the primary outcome in the Novartis trial. That's Elizabeth Barry Cravis, a researcher at the Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. She helped to run the clinical trials for Mavoglurant, and she told me that drug companies like Novartis use scores from the aberrant behavioral checklist as their main measure. The aberrant behavioral checklist, also called the ABC, is a list of 58 questions that parents fill out about their child. The scale was originally developed to measure general developmental disability, so it asks things about irritability, hyperactivity, lethargy, and social withdrawal. 
It was successfully used in a clinical trial for risperidone, a drug that is used for irritability in people with autism and fragile X, but it does not necessarily capture the kind of improvement Debbie saw in her son Taylor. And, Barry Cravis argues, if we want new drugs to treat the core features of autism and fragile X, we need to be looking at the basic cognitive functions that are affected, things such as cognitive control and eye contact avoidance. And she told me that she and her colleague, David Hassel, did just that in the Mavoglurant trial. With Novartis's permission, we collected data on the social eye tracking task, and the other task is a... Uh, assessing the inhibition of impulses. And then when we went back and looked at the data that we had in those two tests, there was improvement in the drug-treated group versus the placebo group. Barry Cravis and Hassel found that there was an effect of the drug. People taking mavoglurant looked more at the eyes of the faces in the eye-tracking task than the placebo group. And they also showed more impulse inhibition. I spoke to a representative at Novartis, and Novartis is aware of Barry Cravis and Hassel's findings. But, Novartis says, it is not just about finding measures that differ. We have to find measures that matter. So what if a drug makes you look more at others' eyes if it doesn't make daily life easier? Barry Cravis says, however, if we know what the low-level behaviors of autism and fragile X are, behaviors such as avoiding eye contact, then we can ask, how can we change those low-level behaviors? Because changing them might lead to a cascade of effects that improve quality of life. Concretely put, if a drug can make a person look more at others' eyes, it could help that person become more socially engaged over a longer period of time. And that would matter. Novartis says they are open to using new measures, but they would have to be validated to show improvement in quality of life. Mavoglurant is not the first drug for autism and fragile X to fail in clinical trials and to do so in a high-profile way. Companies seem to keep abandoning trials on drugs that once seemed promising. A few years ago, Seaside Therapeutics teamed up with the pharmaceutical giant Roche to test a drug called Arbaclofen. The drug was also intended as a treatment for fragile X and autism, and that trial failed for similar reasons. Seaside eventually went under as a result, And I spoke to Randall Carpenter, who is a physician and the co-founder of Seaside Therapeutics. He sums up the two main problems with these trials like this. We don't know how to measure a drug's effectiveness, and we don't know which people to test the drug on. So you have to kind of figure out, who do I enroll? And when someone has a genetic disorder that causes five different symptoms in five different people, you have to have some way to capture that rather than, than just one symptom. Although Fragile X is caused by a single mutation, people with the syndrome will have varying difficulties. If a drug actually works, it might improve language for one person and attention for another. So it's not always clear what we should be measuring to know whether a drug is effective. Carpenter also says there is a need to identify the right people and the right ages for a drug. You know, doing the right dose to the right person at the right time. Developing good objective measures of autism severity and identifying subpopulations within the spectrum are the two primary goals of clinical psychologist Jamie McPartland's work. We're looking at things like neural response to faces. We look at the brain's activity at rest. We look at the brain activity elicited by very simplified images of people walking. McPartland is a researcher at the Yale Child Study Center. He and other researchers are looking for biomarkers in autism, 
measures such as eye tracking and brain imaging that can be used to objectively gauge improvement or lack thereof in people with the condition. He also told me about a new measure that they've been exploring. It's a technique used in mouse studies where a camera is placed over a mouse's cage to monitor its movements over time and space. And so we use the same principle for children in a playroom, that uh, we have a child with autism in a room with toys and with a parent, and we're just interested in understanding how much time that child chooses to spend near the parent or in other parts of the room and how quickly to go to the parent. And so we look at that as well. McPartland says he and other researchers are also coming up with more focused questionnaires. So something like the ABC, but more specific to the core features of autism or Fragile X. And using these questionnaires and tests, they hope to identify different subpopulations. The way that I would describe it is is looking for stratification biomarkers so that we have measurements that can help us determine who in a group of people is likely to benefit from a drug. McPartland says they have not yet been involved in any drug testing, but the goal is to create a battery of tests that clinicians can use in the future. Hopefully we're putting together the biomarker tool set and also putting together a team that could use it in clinical trials. There are other researchers also working towards this goal. Gan Pendina, a researcher at Janssen Drug Company, has been developing something called the Jake system. So uh, Jake, uh, or the Janssen Autism Knowledge Engine, was designed to be the first system of tools and technologies to optimize clinical trials for autism spectrum disorder. Along with collecting biomarker data in the lab, Pandina has developed a mobile and online component of the Jake system. We, we collect things like medical and developmental history, tracking of daily behaviors. We have a rating scale that we've created called the Autism Behavior Inventory, or ABI. So it's the way for parents to report on the behaviors of autism that their children or adult children are, are exhibiting. Pandina says these kinds of measures are designed to get at the daily life of individuals with autism. And such measures can then be looked at alongside biomarker data. And we're looking at that data now to see which biosensors and which tasks may correlate with other symptoms of change. Debbie Stevenson says she wishes there had been better measures to capture the improvements she was seeing in her son Taylor in the Novartis clinical trial. She says that even the small changes mattered for her family, and we need to better equip our clinical trials to capture them. Because it really can make a difference in your family life and your ability to care for that child and make that child happy. So I feel like it was just a learning process for all of us because I think the autism community, this was the ABC was basically their go-to way of measuring a clinical trial, and we know it's just not going to be enough now. This was the podcast for Spectrum, the leading source of news and expert opinion on autism research. This episode was based in part on a story by Rachel Zamzo titled, Why Don't We Have Better Drugs for Autism? To read Zamzo's story and an accompanying special report on clinical trials, visit spectrumnews.org. I'm Lisa Cantrell.